Welcome to Get Amplified from the Amplified Group, the podcast for tech industry leaders and aspiring leaders who want to help their companies execute faster. As always, we're virtual. I'm at home in Buckinghamshire. Vicky's in Deeperstock, Oxfordshire. So Vic, who have we got on the podcast today? Thanks, Sam. I'm thrilled with who we have today. And I have to say, this person I hold responsible for why I joined VMware. So let me explain that. He's so, got a lot to answer for. <laughs> so when when I um, was talking to VMware about joining, I was a little sceptical about virtual desktops and what VMware was doing around end-user computing. And I needed to be convinced that there was going to be innovation coming down the path. And... I met with Dave and he convinced me that VMware was going to be all about application delivery and that there was amazing innovation coming down the path. And that's why I joined. So thanks very much. So our guest today is Dave Wright, who currently holds the role of Chief Innovation Officer at ServiceNow. And ServiceNow is just going from strength to strength with innovation after innovation. So it's just wonderful to have him on as a guest. And what we're really looking forward to hearing from you, Dave, is just about your perspective on what innovation really means to you and why innovation comes through teamwork, if that makes sense. So Sam, okay. I'm gonna hand over to you. Yeah, great, um, to, great. To take over the reins. Gonna enjoy this one, I think. So. Dave, do you want to start maybe by giving us a bit of uh, a potty career history? How how does one become Chief Innovation Officer? Yeah, hi, Sam. So, um, I mean, it's a question I get asked a lot, and I think it's, it's interesting the way you phrased it. How does one get to become Chief Innovation Officer? I don't think anyone sets out to become Chief Innovation Officer. I think it's a, I think it's a role. That wasn't what you were aiming for when you left school. No, I, I, I do a lot of work with uh, our interns when our interns come through and, and try and give them career guidance. And, and unfortunately, my career has been a, a series of lucky accidents rather than phenomenally good planning. So, um, so yeah, my, <laughs> my whole story was, uh, so I started out kind of way back in the late 80s as a mainframe guy. So I was a, a mainframe uh, systems programmer and uh, I was looking at mainframe automation, ended up... Uh, using a product called AF Operator from a company called Candle. And, um, and as I was using the product more and more, I got to meet the account team more and more. And then eventually one day they said, hey, we've got a, a vacancy coming up in Candle. It's to do a job called pre-sales. And I was like, wow, that sounds like I don't understand what the job is, but I'm <laughs> sure you can explain what pre-sales is. So, so they explained the whole concept that you're going to work with uh, sales guys and you're going to actually do the technical part of the presentation. So, so I ended up getting into that in my early twenties. Um, went through, went through a few years at Candle. Uh, joined a company called Maxem that Bull and Babbage acquired. Uh, and at this point, I was doing, I suppose, some support, some consultancy, some pre-sales. Uh, then I moved to a company called Peregrine Systems in the mid nineties. So I was there from ninety-five to two thousand and two, I think. And that was much more looking at the, the technical architecture solutions. And I ended up working in product management, I think, at one point there. Uh, then I went to a company called Mercury Interactive, uh, focused on management at that level. So that was managing all the uh, pre- and post-sales sale, resources for Northern Europe. And then in 2005, I joined VMware. 
So I was at VMware for six or seven years. And uh, that was... Sorry. Relatively early days of, of VMware. Yeah, it was just after uh, EMC had done the acquisition. There was yeah, probably, yeah. probably, probably like 800 people in the company maybe when I joined. And God knows how many tens of thousands it is now. But yeah. um, that, was, that was looking after pre and post sales for Europe. Um, and then in... 2011, I got the call to join ServiceNow. Now, I had I had history with ServiceNow because Fred Luddy, the founder of the company, used to be the CTO of Peregrine Systems, so we were we had a, a connection there. And um, and when I spoke to them and understand what they did or understood what the vision of what they could do was, that was when I decided to join the company. So I joined the company running pre-sales globally. Um, and then this is the point at where my career goes in a slightly different direction. So I'd had this whole pre-sales career in the past, and I started to have more and more conversations with the exec teams around a disconnect between what the vision was and what the reality was. And and over a period of time, we had more and more of these conversations until in 2013, I got appointed as uh, chief strategy officer for ServiceNow. And that was very much a role that was focused on the strategy of what we did around products uh, we went through a number of CEO changes. So we went from uh, Frank Slootman uh, over to to John looking after it from uh, 2017 onwards. And now obviously we've got Bill McDermott in place. But when, when John came on board, strategy to him was much more about the, the strategy of the entire company. So so how we sold things, what segmentation looked like, what markets we were, who we were in. So he said at that point, I... I still need someone who understands the technology. So he moved me into the position of chief innovation officer. And that's the position I've been in for the last three years, four years now. Good stuff. Do you enjoy it? I do because it's, uh, it's interesting because you get, to, you get to look at a lot of technology that's not necessarily things that are directly related to what you do. So, so a great example was um, I spent a lot of time looking at 5g technology and, and okay. i was having conversations yeah. i was having conversations with other people and they were like well why 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 is 5g going to be of any interest to to us as a company and the thing about something like 5g is it starts to move connectivity and processing to the edge which means the knock-on effect of that is you're going to drive more and more iot or connected devices into the arena and all those are going to need managing so yeah. you get these these weird things, I, I, I've done presentations around it before. I always call it the digital butterfly effect, where where one piece of technology happens yeah. in one area and then it has knock-on effects way yeah. down the line. And I, I guess from the point of view of, some, of an organization like, like ServiceNow, you know, if you've got tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands or, or even millions of IoT devices, you can't manage those with people sat behind PCs. No. There's got to be a no. level of, of automation and orchestration in there, otherwise you you're screwed. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and you get the same problems all the way through. You'll get problems about understanding what assets you've got, what those assets yeah. do, how you secure yeah. those assets. It's the same. Where, where, where they physically are, who's responsible for them, what they connect into. And right. It's, it's, it's like CMDBs, isn't it? It is. It is. I mean, and that's, yeah. that's very much the way people look at it, although they don't realize it's a CMDB at the time. Yeah. So you guys are going far too technical for me, but I'm just sitting here thinking, we we have a competition at home now trying to figure out how many devices we've got 
just in just in the house that are connected like why does my washing machine need to be connected the whole thing's just gone a little bit nuts (laughs) yeah i I mean even as a geek i think my washing machine is connectable but i haven't seen the point and i haven't connected it so i I did the same with my oven my oven can be connected but the number of times i need to switch it on remotely Uh, see i can see the point in an oven because you know you might be you're out on a dog walk you're coming home, you, you want to warm some bread up for lunch or something. So you put your oven on when you're 10 minutes away from home and you get, see that, that's logical to me, but I don't understand the washing machine thing. Anyway, no, we've, we, we've gone <laughs> off topic as, as, as we have, as, as we no doubt often will do. But. So Dave, tell us what innovate, innovation is obviously the key word in your job title there, right? Um, what, does, what does innovation mean to you? So I suppose... It's got a lot of concepts that are, that are linked to it. So innovation to me is is pretty simple. It's just about thinking thinking about a different way of doing something. But but more importantly, it's actually then implementing that idea. So so if I just get an idea that no one uses, then then that's not innovation. That's just yeah. that's just creativity or invention. Uh, and the other thing that I think is interesting about that simple statement of just thinking about a different way of doing something is the word something. So I, I don't think innovation is just about products. It can, be, it can be how you market something. It could be how you sell something. It could be an experience. It, it could be anything. I think people, people get very hung up on, oh, innovation's all about the products and the technology. But, but what makes a, a company really successful is if it can innovate at a, at a generic level. It needs, to be, it needs to kind of be ingrained in that culture. And, and the innovation to me has to drive the purpose of the company as well. Otherwise it's, it's just people going through an intellectual exercise of what could we do with technology? Yeah, that makes sense. I think that makes sense. Um, it's obviously you're responsible to some extent for the direction of travel of the organization and, and, and where it goes. Um, staying true to purpose. Is that important in that context? Yeah, I mean, I'd say, and we can talk about this maybe a bit more later on. I, I'd say innovation doesn't sit with an individual, and I've never purported no. to to say that it does. But, but um, the purpose side of it is really interesting to me because because I think if you don't have a purpose, you've got you've got nothing. You've got absolutely nothing. You've got no hmm. no direction, no end goal. There's no buy-in from the company. There's no alignments there's there's definitely no fun when you've got no passion yeah that's it that's it i mean it's like that that start with why thing isn't it you've got to have a reason for what you do right right and i I, i've worked for loads of companies that have had kind of different views for this but but it's the ones that it's the ones that focused on purpose it's the ones that that got the whole company to go in the same direction. That's where it, that's where it kind of felt like a more like a living organism than just a group of teams that were thrown together. It's it's everyone pulling in the same direction. Um, but but it, I also think you can't just create a purpose. You can't just. It's not like when you sit in all these meetings and someone goes, "Oh, we haven't got a mission statement," and you build a mission statement, <laughs> and, and yeah. then next year you build if, another mission statement. If, if, if it's a marketing led exercise, you're in trouble. <laughs> I, I think if you if you come up with a purpose, everyone's got to believe in that purpose. And and the great thing about having it is then from that point on, it makes it makes it really easy to evaluate everything you're doing by relating it to the purpose. So so if you're doing something and it supports the purpose, fine. If you find you're doing a lot of things and they don't support what the overall purpose of the company is, then 
maybe you shouldn't focus on it because that's where um, that's where I think things become derailed or, or fragmented. And you used to see, um, if you if you think about the late nineties and the early two thousands, software companies used to do this all the time. They go on these big, uh, big kind of uh, acquisition binges where they buy all these different companies, and and you'd end up with a sales guy that'd have like five hundred products in a bag, and <laughs> yeah. obviously you've got to want one product. But it's innovation through acquisition. Yeah, that's it. You know, what what yeah. what's your problem? Let me look in your bag. I'll try and find yeah. a solution. But but those companies. Those companies, a lot of them don't exist anymore. But but even the ones that do, they're all in survival mode. They're not they're not thriving. There's no there's no spark that drives it forward. It's just it's just there's no directional purpose for the company. That's really interesting you say that, Dave. Someone we we both know well, Lewis G. So he's coming on the podcast shortly. He's one of our amplified advisors, oh, okay. and he is actually coming on to talk about the importance of purpose. And how his experience at Citrix and his experience at VMware and his experience at ServiceNow, how ServiceNow is the only one that has stayed core to the purpose. And I can talk about this from a VMware perspective because I joined to do end user computing and it felt completely irrelevant to anything else that VMware was doing in the data center. And it was right. a really, really hard thing to do. So I totally understand where you're coming from with that. Yeah, I mean, that was an... It was an interesting concept. Sometimes in a company, no matter how it tries to expand, it's always about its core business. And yeah. you know, VMware was always about virtualization. Um, mm. And and it's been interesting. It's been interesting in this company and ServiceNow specifically. Um, although you know, I suppose this isn't a ServiceNow podcast, so I wasn't going to promote it. But the <laughs> the the fact that the fact that we have this vision of, around how we can make the world of work work better for people. The thing that I really like about that is, is that was the vision that the founder of the company had as well. He he just wanted what he used to get a real buzz out of, and, and you hardly ever hear this, is he used to he used to because he was a unusual in the fact that he was a CEO who was a coder, he used to he used to like to write the software and then his his real pleasure experience was watching someone smile when they used it, watching someone <laughs> take something and smile and he'd think, Yeah, I can see why that would be really satisfying. Yeah, yeah, you're you're making better, you're making it better for them. Yeah, yeah, something that's yeah, something that's, that's pleasing to use. I could see that. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. That brings me on to my, my I guess the next question is: you know, we had Mark Templeton, formula, former Citrix president, on the podcast oh, yeah. a little while back. He was speaking about uh, his advice to companies who are in that sort of hyper growth mode i guess service now have been through that to some extent and that's to remain customer focused to think customer in rather than company out so think about the customer journey rather than thinking about you know create this this crazy stuff and right. throw it out there and see what happens and that's that sounds exactly what you're aiming to do there yeah i mean i think I think being customer focused essential. I think if you look at the world's most successful companies, they're always the ones that focus on, on customers first. And especially especially when a company goes through that hyper growth stage, the, the customers are the story. So, mm -hmm. so you know, you're, you're six, that's what everyone's asking. Everyone's coming on board. Who else is like me? Who looks like me? Who feels like me? So so you're using customer stories all the time. And and how successful they are directly impacts how successful you are. Yeah. And I think the, the other thing that's changed now as well is uh, you think about the way that you you consume things. So so almost everything's become subscription-based from 
you know, your, your mobile phone to the, the software you consume when you're yeah. sorry, the software you consume from an entertainment perspective, you know, what you're subscribed to there, to, to all the SaaS solutions that's out there. And because, because now we have swapping costs that are, are minimal, it's, it's pretty easy to go from one bank to another or one telco mm. provider to another, that, that whole focus on customer success and customer satisfaction that that started to become the lifeblood of companies now because you know everything's around renewal everything's around customer retention and customer acquisition and if you're going to do that then it's essential for what the customers do to become front and center for you as a company that makes sense yeah and if you lose that that customer service element the customer just goes yeah, absolutely. You know, freedom of yeah. choice is is yeah, what it's absolutely, about. absolutely. Which which kind of makes sense. You know, and I'm involved in a, in a, a startup um, called CoCharger, which is a um, you know, sharing sharing economy type startup, basically an Airbnb for electric car chargers. Right. And one of the one of the things that we've said all the way through is that we um, we don't want to contract people in to the CoCharger platform, whether they're a host or a chargee. We want to tie them in by making the experience right. as slick and as elegant and as wonderful as possible. And yes, that's through using the app, but that's also, you know, if you run into problems and you need to speak to somebody, engagements with social media, you know, all of that stuff. So right. you, tie, you tie somebody in by making the experience as perfect as possible. Yeah. Rather than contracting them in because people won't sign up for a year's worth of contract these days. No. No, I mean, people, like people want that flexibility. Or you see, yeah. I don't know whether this became a universal thing, but it definitely happened in America where, where people would sign up for contracts and, and the customer side became so important to other companies that they would buy you out of that contract. Yeah. If, you'd, if you'd signed up for a year, well, yeah. we'll pay that for you, but yeah. we're going to give you a better service over here. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. So... Oh. One of the things that I always thought in my time at Softcat, so I finished up as, as CTO um, after kind of 20, 20 years or so there, and uh, you know, not a dissimilar role to what you're doing, I think, at ServiceNow, albeit with a slightly different focus. And one right. of the things that I, I always thought was that I, I wasn't the CTO. Everybody in my team was the CTO. Right. As a collective, it was like a brain trust. And I, I was just the pitch guy. I was just the front man, as it were. And it, it felt like it was important to engender that culture where the ideals, uh, ideas come in. Is that yeah, that, innov- innovation through culture? Is that something that's important to you? Yeah, I mean, I hardly ever hear someone who describes a job where I think, yeah, that's exactly the same as as what I do. But but, but yeah, it's the it's it's exactly the same. And this is where this is where I think job titles get confusing now because job titles tend to be based on on these traditional structures that we've had for 30 or 40 years. But the, yeah. the reality is that's, that's not what you do anymore. So, yeah. Yeah. so, so I think when people meet me, they always used to, they always used to say, Oh, so, uh, so you're going to be like the, the epicenter of innovation, everything that the company does comes through you. And when, when a company is really small, it might be interesting to have one person who is, mm-hmm. is that spark of all the ideas, but, but innovation works best when it's uh it's a way of thinking for the company. So it can't, yeah. it can't sit with an individual. Um, I'd argue it can't even sit with a team. It, it's got to be the, the red thread that goes right through the company. It, it comes from everything from, from how you think about technology to how you work, 
all, all the way through even to to how you view that diversity and what diversity mm. brings from an innovation yeah. perspective. But yeah, we it's, talk, uh, we, I mean, we talk quite a bit about diversity of all different types on on previous episodes of the podcast. Right. Yeah, obviously gender diversity, ethnic diversity, social, socioeconomic background. I've got a big thing about neurodiversity. It, right. Yeah, all of that stuff is important. Yeah, um, the diversity thing is interesting because, I mean, this this then goes into the whole concept of diversity of thought as well, I suppose, where, you know, quite often if you put a team together to think about something, the, the good ideas come from the people who aren't traditionally in that area because they don't they don't have the constraints around how they think about things so i yeah. i think when people yeah i think what you said when people think about diversity it's not just it's not just a a race gender orientation thing it's it's using all the resources you can get to get the best absolutely absolutely and even if that wasn't the right thing to do which clearly it is the right thing to do it's it's definitely a sensible thing from a business perspective yeah, just just hearing those different views and and people coming in that are completely greenfield. They don't know any of the history. They don't know any yeah. of the logic around how you exactly. did something. Well, you get time. the opportunity to ask the stupid question that actually really isn't that stupid. It's probably it's the most intelligent question you've ever asked. It's funny. I always think that's 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 always one of those things I laugh at when when someone joins a company and and whenever anyone joins a company for the first. The first three or four months, they play that. Oh, I'm the new guy card, so you know yeah. I can ask anything because I'm a new guy. Yeah, and I've I've been in meetings with people, and someone have said, "Well, I'm I'm kind of the new guy," and you're like, "No, no, you've been here for like 18 months. You're not <laughs> the new guy anymore. You can't use yeah. that." Yeah. One thing I'd do when I brought somebody new in is I'd I'd ask them to call my baby ugly, right? Because because they can get away with it because right. they're the new they're, they're not invested in it. If there's something that they think we're doing that we're doing is wrong. Tell me when you first come in with, you know, when you haven't got any emotional investment in the way that we're doing things. I think that is a, that, that, that's, that is an interesting take to take on things because yeah, you do get politics and hierarchy that mean that people don't criticize things. And when you don't criticize things that does sometimes slow down innovation. Yeah, you, you end up with group think. Yeah. 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 Very interesting. Very interesting. So I guess as part of that engendering of innovation, you need to be in within a team, within a group that cult- that cultivates a high trust culture. Would that be fair to say? I think so. Yeah. So I think I think trusts become more and more important recently, and it's it's a it's a two way road. So you know you have to trust people; they have to trust you. And I think there's the elements of trust that are involved with things like innovation, where you're talking about the the whole concept of being trusted to fail where, where, you know, you, you can say an idea and it's bad and, and people might laugh at it and say it's bad, but no one thinks of you as a, a worse person for it. But I, I think trust has really shifted in the last 12 months. Uh, trust, trust used to be, trust used to be defined by the walls of the company, I suppose. So, so people would walk around and they'd, they'd watch employees if they were, if they were managers and employees would watch each other and, and everyone had this, trust concept that they were all doing the right thing i think now that now that people have moved away from that environment trust become even more important because employees want to feel trusted so you want to feel that what you're doing is adding value to the business and and the management structure above them needs to feel that value so so you need to trust management and management needs to trust you and 
and everyone can't see each other all the time. So I think the the interesting thing about how how trust has changed recently. Remember when you used to do a Zoom call two years ago? No one would have the camera. Yeah. It, it was like really unusual for someone to have a camera. Yeah. And, and and no one thought anything of it because it was just like a, a conference call, but it happened to be yeah. going through Zoom. Now, if someone hasn't got the camera on, you'll see people saying, Oh, yeah, they haven't got the camera on. What what are they doing then? They're not they're not yeah. focused on the call. And that's yeah. that's all down to this 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 element of trust. I mean, people people want to see people in the eyes to assume that they're focused and doing something, but that's not wouldn't, it, wouldn't it be nice to have an actual physical meeting? <laughs> Gosh. Unless you're, unless you're at no, a church no, parish council. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a story on that for you, Dave. Go on, then. We'll take that. What? The parish council? <laughs> so I've, I recorded a Zoom with them fairly recently because that's the village that I come from. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> you can see what went wrong now. They're all like Vicky. Yeah, yeah. My dad was on TV. He's 95 and he was on TV two weeks ago giving his views on it. Came with his Zimmer frame to the door. It's just unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah, anyway. I I was just going to come in with trust. Um, Dave, we've spoken briefly about this, but trust is like the fundamental thing that we do at the Amplified Group because that's that is the basis for for all organisations to be successful. If you haven't got that trust to start with, and you don't feel safe enough to be able to admit mistakes and ask for help, then you can't have that free discussion and that diversity of thought that you were thinking about. And you know, people were saying you were saying about when employees are new to a company well wouldn't it be great if if even if you didn't have to be new to the company to be able to just go the baby's still ugly yeah what can we do to get it better the the most famous story i talk about is the guy that turned ford round and the fact that he was like you can't fix secrets we have to know where the challenges are and then thank goodness people have given us some challenges right how can we help each other fix them that's the kind of trust that that we're trying to get to. How do you see that from an innovation perspective? They're definitely the most interesting meetings to go to. When, because I mean, I think everyone's experienced this. You you'll sit in a room and someone will say, "Yeah, that that's just not right," or, or, or "This isn't the way we should do it," or "That's flawed thinking." And all of a sudden, there's this group sigh in the whole room as everyone's like, "Yes, someone's finally someone's finally said it." Now yeah. we can now we can all get everything out on the table, but but it yeah. needed someone to to break through Be that. Brave. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and and you need a the most beautiful culture to work in is when that's not brave, is when that's yes. just normal. Yes. But, but it's really hard to get that because you have to you, you don't just have to have trust in each other, you have to you have to check your egos out as well. You know, that 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 no one's no one's right or wrong, everything's up for question, everything's fair game. Yeah. And 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 don't just say that as a rule for a meeting. Don't just walk in and say, "Hey, there's no sacred cows here. You can do what you want." You shouldn't have to say it. You know, you want to get yeah. the the company to a culture where everyone's happy to be to be open about what they feel, and everyone can take a little bit of an idea and start to mash it together and come up with something that's bigger than the sum of the parts. Yeah. Well, that's the that's the joy of teamwork at the end of the day, isn't it? I mean, that's right. that's what we drive for. That is that's why we do what we do. So that's that's really cool to hear you saying that. Fab. Very interesting. 
So I guess we ought to start to move towards the close and probably really good, Dave, if you can give us maybe your three key takeaways on building continuous innovation through teamwork. So, so I think we've, I mean, we've touched on, we've touched on a lot of them as we've gone through some of these conversations. The, uh, the classic one was the one that, that Vicky was kind of alluding to then that, that no idea is a bad idea. So yeah. the, the thing about that is as well that you, you never, you never know the future. So even if someone comes up with something that's a, that's a bad idea, it's still worth rallying around and having the discussion about it. Because I, I know I've had ideas in the past where they, they've just failed. Everyone's just said, no, we're, we're, not, we're not doing that. We're not, we're not the type of company who does that, or that's not something we're going to do. And then this year I've seen some of them happening. And it, there's been an eight-year gap between coming up with the concept and seeing it yeah. come to fruition. So there's no, um, even though an idea mightn't be that useful at the time, it doesn't mean it's, it's not useful moving forward. So, so I think every idea should be out there. Everyone should rally around them. Everyone should discuss them because the time might be right in the future. The, uh, the second thing I think that drives innovation is, is question anything. So, so when someone asks if you can do something, the, the why is much more important than the yes. Uh, and we, we, well, I've seen this all the time in my past five jobs, especially if it's a, if you go to a customer and the customer will say, can you do this? The, the immediate answer is, well, yes, of course we can do that. But the, the question that's going to change them is why, why do you want to do yeah. that? that? That's what generates the really innovation. powerful question. Really yeah. powerful question. Yeah. And, and it's even a funnier question when people can't answer it. When people yeah. just, yeah. <laughs> well, that's the way it's always been, or you know, that's just what we do. And the um, yeah. the third thing that's that's really worked for me is don't have a build a team, but don't have a team hierarchy. So when everyone gets together, make everyone equal. And yeah. and I've sat in team calls before where there's been there's been engineers, there's been uh, product managers, there's been designers, there's been salespeople. And, and it's only when you, you listen to everyone's view and give everyone's view the same weight that you, you start to realize whereabouts you can improve things across the board. So, so not having a hierarchy where engineering is more important than sales or yeah, design is yeah. more important than yeah, product, yeah. That's, that's something that drives innovation too. Yeah, that's interesting. That often felt like that was another part of my job was creating parity in the conversation between what the sales guys needed and what the... right design guys needed and what the guys are going to actually eventually implement the solution and you know so just sort of level leveling all those guys out to it, bring it all together it's really funny when you get them together because it, it is i mean effectively it's like a it's like a mobius strip the way it feeds each other yeah, but you'll see yeah. the meetings initially and people go well you know if, if if we didn't if we didn't sell the product for you you know you wouldn't have the money to invest or and then the engineers will say, yeah, but if we didn't write the product, then you wouldn't have the product to sell. And, and yeah. you start to realize that it is this, this infinite Yeah, that's it. That, no, no, one is, no one can exist without the others. No. So what yeah. one of our um, focuses, so we, it's been great listening because we're, we're very much focused at the minute in understanding our customer journey. And we've concluded that actually what we've finished with is building a team of teams, which goes to your point, Dave, of getting creating a level playing field where where the teams can move in between each other and right. the, where where i first got the concept of this and this goes down to that 
stopping the silos forming was the 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 work that we do around the five dysfunctions of a team which is like a basis for almost the best practices of what you've been talking about today right the the five dysfunctions book is a book by Patrick Lencioni and it's about a tech startup in the valley that isn't hitting its number and how they go through the process of building trust and having robust debate and conflict and commitment and accountability and then achieving the results which are the team results the results of the overall business and right. and what they really the engineering team go yeah well we've built our product we've built the product it's sales that can't sell it and, right. and the, the, the spoiler is what they do is they pick up some engineers and they sit them with the sales team and go you need to go and help them sell it because actually if they're not successful the whole organization isn't isn't successful yes. it doesn't matter just this is about what comes back to that purpose thing doesn't it what right. are we trying to achieve as an entire organization versus is what is my little department trying to do? Yeah, and and, and you can, and you can reverse that as well. It's like I mean, I've been in debates where this has happened before. If if you think you're going to build a product and the the sales force isn't going to be able to sell it, then then maybe you shouldn't build the product. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, very interesting. So, Vicky, you should probably take us through hero time. Yes. Okay. So it's that time on the podcast. So Dave, just to explain to you, so hero time, it's not about us being heroes. It's we like to make our clients the heroes that we work with so that they are able to go and build that team of teams that we were just talking about. So in doing that, we have this little piece at the end of the podcast where we ask all of our guests who their hero is. So feel free to answer this however you like. But that's the question. Who today is your hero? So, I mean, I suppose you can go, you know, you can go on the the whole big pitch about whether it's a historical character or or, or whether it's someone that's a, a classic character like a Steve Jobs character. But but I think for me, and, and this this is going to sound really really sycophantic, but it's it, it is true to me. One of my heroes through life, watching what he's done, has been the guy who who founded this company fred luddy so he's not he, he he doesn't actively work on the company anymore he's still part of the board but it was a it was an interesting story if i go way back in the 90s when i used to work for peregrine systems i remember going to an event in uh, 1998 in san diego at the convention center and it was called a uh, synergy and it was kind of peregrine's user group conference and i watched fred on stage and he was doing a, a keynote presentation and I still remember the presentation. I remember it being about RFID tags. I remember the graphics of him using it to track where his mother-in-law was, which probably a politically incorrect joke, but but it was funny at the time. And uh, I, I stood in the audience and I thought, that's what I'd love to do. I, I'd love to I'd love to be working for a company where my value was to to stand on stage in front of thousands of people and, and educate them on on what the company actually did. And and Fred, Fred as an individual, you know, went from a position of of being successful to to losing it all due to a a, a kind of an, an economic disaster when the company went into Chapter Eleven, to to not giving up to deciding when he was forty nine, I think it was, that he was going to start all this again, that he started a software company again from scratch, that he he got it to be the second biggest SaaS company in the world in, in a space of like twelve years, going from nothing. But the the whole 
the whole loop of the story for me that give me my my biggest hero moments in that was was after after wanting to do that in 1998 by the time we got to 2014 i actually got to a point where me and fred did a a keynote for service now together so having having wanted to do what he did for years to actually get the honor of of sharing a stage with him and doing it at one point was was amazing but but even watching him now you know the the work that he's done in in looking at what what he does around some of the genetic coding for newborns the the concepts around what he's doing to help society and try and do things in a different way he's just someone that i've i've always admired so for me it's a uh, there's that saying you never want to meet your heroes but for me i i really enjoy meeting mine and i uh i still enjoy meeting them whenever i see them now fantastic oh, cool. I, yeah the never meet your heroes thing is interesting so my hero when i was a kid and i was learning to play cricket was a chap called john embury oh yeah follow cricket you'll remember him um and you know i kind of modeled my bowling after him and 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 i met him not not that many years ago um at a sort of charity cricket match and I was on his team, um, which was just incredible because, you know, he was my boyhood hero. And, and he was the nicest guy you could ever expect to meet. And, it, you know, that was a total meet your heroes and they 100% live up to your expectations and more. <laughs> and I just, I just thought he was fantastic. So I'm not sure about the never, never meet your heroes thing. <laughs> it, it worked for me. He was a good guy. Clearly worked for you as well. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. Cool. Well, thank you, Dave. That was really interesting. Uh, no, it was good another, fun. another good episode in the bag. Thanks for listening to Get Amplified from the Amplified Group. Your comments and subscriptions are always gratefully received. Chief Strategy Officer at ServiceNow. And is that right? No, Chief no. Innovation Officer. Oh, God, I knew that. Do you know what? <laughs> Thank God for editing. That's that's what my other half said. This is Dave, who currently doesn't hold the role of Chief Strategy Officer at ServiceNow. <laughs> I, ironically, this is Dave who used to hold the role of Chief Strategy Officer at ServiceNow. I was we'll... reading up on you, you see. That's it. That's my brain work. Yeah, so... Um, I'll do that bit again. See, this is the joy because I heard I saw you go. No, no, <laughs> that's not me. This is this is Dave. He's chief something or other officer. <laughs> that would be the that would be the best description. <laughs> I, know, I, I know, I know that feeling. <laughs> that seems to be my role. I reckon. But, right, Vicky, do you want to try? I'll that go again? that bit again. Yeah.